We appreciate very much you being here tonight. I realize that you could be other places doing other things, but I think that you've chosen the good thing, and that is to come together with the people of God, to be able to sing together and pray together and study for a bit from His Word. It would be ungrateful on my part not to express my appreciation for Gerald Norman, the great meal that they had for me tonight and spending some time with them and to reminisce and talk about people that we know and people that we love. Sister Pertle last night and Matt and Sarah Sunday and you have such good cooks here and we appreciate that so very, very much and appreciate every, every act of kindness that you've shown me thus far. And I, it encourages me immensely. There's four people in the audience tonight that are really, really special to me in a number of ways. One is that they have to listen to me every week. And so, and they drove all the way from, actually, uh, part of them from almost in Pulaski, about halfway between Pulaski and Lewisburg. That's uh, Joe and Kim McKay, and then Ray and Wanda from Lewisburg, and I appreciate them very much coming and it encourages me greatly. It's not that they wanted to hear me, but they love the truth. And that, that's what I appreciate about them. And I appreciate their stand for what's right, and good, and just, and holy. And they encourage me because that's the kind of people they are. And I, I know that. And so I appreciate that. And there's so many in the audience tonight that I know and love and appreciate it through the years and others. I have uh, getting to know a little better this week. So we appreciate that uh, so very much. I want to talk to you for just a bit tonight about the contented heart. Now, this is a series, obviously, about the heart. <clears throat> I appreciate the elders selecting this. They asked me to give them some lessons and some overall titles of some lessons. And, of course, I sent them several. And this is the series that they picked out. And I... I never preached this series in a gospel meeting before, but I, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Do, do you realize that every problem that we have in life, basically a spiritual problem, it, it begins in the heart, doesn't it? You know, John and I were talking last night after church services about 99% of the problems that we face in the church today and deal with various issues really is because of, of people lacking of having a humble heart that really wants to do what's right in the eyes of God. And it will admit that they're wrong and they're willing to say that they're wrong and they're willing to correct that which is amiss in their life and do what God would have them to do. Well, I want us to think a little bit about being contented in life. Would you say that you're contented? Are you pretty happy with the situation that you find yourself in in life? Well, that's really what I want us to think a little bit about this evening. There are actually three things that I want to point out to you from a negative standpoint that keeps us from being contented. And then I'd like for us to look at three things that will help us to learn contentment and to be contented in life itself. You know, you go back to the Old Testament and if you look at the Ten Commandments, he tells people not to covet their neighbor's wife and various things. Well, why do people, why would people have done that? Were they happy with what they had? Was that the problem? They were not contented? You know, we often say the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. We hear that quite often. If it looks that way, are we content then? Are we uncontented with what we have? 
and the position that we find ourselves in and the circumstances that we're having to deal with in life. And I want us to consider that for just a little bit tonight as we study together. Paul said this, he said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. There's a word there, obviously, we're looking at the word content, but I want you to notice what's said before that. He said, for I have learned. Is contentment something that just comes naturally, or is it something that I have to work at? Is it something that I have to learn? Is it something that I have to discover? It's something that I have to work at it. It's something that I have to discover and I have a desire to be and want to be and want to be contented in life. That's really the idea. Something that I learn. Now, if you look at the definition learn, not only is it something that you discover, but it's something that you discover through experience. It's the things that we experience in life sometimes that helps us to learn to be content. What the things that we go through. So let's think a little bit about that. The word contented is defined as, in Vincent and his word studies, he said literally self-sufficient. Now let me, let, let me explain what I believe that he means here and give you another word study before I go through this one and, and read all of it. In the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament, it said self-sufficient in a good sense. And I think that's what Benson means here. In a good sense. Sufficient, adequate, as used in the classical Greek, satisfied with one's lot. So now let's read on. He said literally self-sufficient. Only here in the New Testament, a stoic word expressing the, uh, the favorite doctrine of the sect. He said that man should be sufficient to himself for all things, able by the power of his own will to resist the shock of circumstances. Paul is self-sufficiency, uh, self-sufficient through the power of the new self, not he, but Christ in him. He learned this through Christ. Christ helped him grasp this and understand this. And that's what we need to do. That's something that we need to learn, and that is to be content. Let's first of all look at some things from a negative standpoint that keeps us from being content, and that's envy. You know, the Bible warns us about envy, and envy is something that will hinder us from learning to be content or learning contentment. The definition of envy here according to Vine, and he makes a distinction between envy and jealousy. He talks about the first word envy, he said, is the feeding or the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. And then he goes on and he notes the Greek word, and he said, as always, he gives a couple of exceptions in there, and I didn't put that on the overhead, but he said, translated jealousy in the revised version. He said the distinction lies in this, that envy desires to deprive another of what he has. Jealousy desires to have the same or the same sort of thing for itself. 
He wants what somebody else has had. And really, it causes him to have disrespect toward the person that has something that he wants. It's not literally just looking and wanting what somebody else has. But it's the sense or it causes displeasure because they have it and you don't have it. And envy is that which you don't want them to have it at all. And I think you can understand that, that the reason why we're not contented is if our hearts are filled with envy, is it keeps us from being contented with the things that we have. And we're always concerned about what somebody else has that we don't have. Someone said this. He said, never let the things that you want make you forget about the things that you have. That's pretty good, isn't it? Never let the things that you want cause you to forget about the things that you already possess and have. How many things do you have? How many blessings do you receive on a daily basis? And not, I'm, I'm not just talking about physical things, but the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Another said contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. And we already have an abundance, don't we? Did you have a nice dinner before you came to church services tonight? Drive here in a nice car? Leave a nice home? You had all those material things, didn't you? But you also have access to pray to the God of heaven, the creator of the entire world, of knowing that he will hear you and he will answer you. What a blessing and what a privilege it is to be able to come together in a building like this, to be able to sing together and pray together. To have brethren to encourage us and strengthen us and even reprove and rebuke us when things are wrong in our lives. Oh, how blessed we are. How truly blessed we are. But envy is something that keeps us from learning to be content. The Bible tells us of the destructive nature of envy itself. He said a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bone. Envy will destroy you. That's what the proverb writer is saying. I have a disciple study Bible on my computer and it says this. He said, character traits affect our physical health as well as our relationships uh, with God and man. Quick temper, envy, and oppression are foolish traits to cultivate. Patience is the opposite of quick temper. He said, peaceful hearts are contented hearts. says, do not envy others. And kindness leaves no room for envy. Envy needs to be put out of our lives. And that's the reason why many times that we're not contented because we're envious and jealous of what other people may have in life. Instead of stopping and realizing all the blessings that you and I have, and all the good things that God has showered upon us. And that's something that we need to stop. 
Song, count your many blessings. Name it one by one. It's an abundance of blessings, obviously, that we have. Look at this illustration of envy. In Genesis 36, verses 9, 10, and 11, it says, Then he dreamed, still another dream, talking about Joseph, and he's revealing this to his father, his mother, and his brothers as well. He had one just prior to this about the sheaves, you remember, and he states that to his brothers. And his brothers didn't like the dream that he had, and they became very envious of Joseph. So it said, uh, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers, and the father rebuked him and said to him, He said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Did that actually happen? It actually happened. Just like Joseph. But how did his brothers feel about it? Oh, his brothers envied him. Go on and read a little later in the chapter and eventually they sell him to the Ishmaelites. And they would have killed him if it hadn't been for Reuben, I suppose. You know, they take his coat of many colors and they dip it in blood and they take it back to to Jacob, and they show that to Jacob. And Jacob concludes that when he sees this, that he's been killed. And the brothers don't correct that thought. He eventually is sold to the Egyptians, and he winds up in Potiphar's house. But God had sent him forth to deliver much people. But his brothers ended him. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like the position that God was about to place him in. And they were very envious of what he was and what he had. The Bible says that he was the son of Jacob's old age. His son that he had in old age. And he is the one that had made him that coat of many colors and had given it to him. And it destroyed him. And that's what envy will do to us. It will keep us from being contented. Let me suggest something else to you. This goes hand in hand with it in bitterness. Bitterness in our lives. It's hard to be contented when you're envious, jealous, and when you're bitter toward others. Think of this meaning, bitter or bitterness. It's the feeling or showing of anger or hurt or resentment. Remember that word, resentment. It's resentment toward others. That's really what is involved in jealousy. I'm jealous of what somebody else has. It causes me to resent them. Because they have something that I don't have. Whatever that might be. He said because of bad experiences or a sense of unjust treatment. I'm afraid sometimes that people are bitter. They think that they have been treated unjustly and when in essence that's not the case. But you see, bitterness... It's something that will keep one from being content with life. You know, we can become bitter because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in life. You know, as we get older, health becomes an issue. I don't think nearly as clearly as I once did. 
my mind doesn't function quite as good as it used to. And I know it's just going to get worse. I know it's not going to get any better. And you know, I could be bitter about that, I suppose, but why be bitter? God has given me the ability to do what I do up to this moment of time, and I pray that he'll give me a little longer. And I have no reason to be bitter about that. In the book of Job, in Job 10, this is something that Job says, verses 1, 2, and 3. He said, my soul wolfs my life. I hate my life. He said, I will give free course to my complaint. He said, I will speak in the bitterness of my soul, Job said. He said, I will say to God, he said, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hand and smile on the counsel of the wicked? You know, a lot of times we read the first three chapters of the book of Job and we see that Job never said anything from his mouth that would be called a sin. But that's not true the rest of the way through the book, is it? He eventually says that God has used me for target practice. You know, it's kind of amazing to me. We often think about it and we study the book of Job and we notice all the things that he lost. And he lost a lot, didn't he? Seven sons and three daughters. He lost his health. He has a wife who tells him, said, why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? And then he has three friends that comes to him and they sit for seven days and they don't say anything to Job. And I'm going to tell you, with three friends like that, a man doesn't need three enemies, does he? Because of what they start accusing Job of. Oh, you've done some great sin, Job. That's the reason why you're experiencing all this. Job was not guilty of some great sin. Well, now I said that to say this. Have you ever noticed what Job gained as a result of what he lost? And that almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Later in the last chapter, he said, I have heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now he says, my eyes see you. I know you. And he said, when I look at myself, he said he was ashamed and he was sorry and he repented in sackcloth and ashes and he asked for forgiveness. Who was he to challenge God and say anything bad about God. And the same truth with us. Who are we to say anything about our God? Especially as good as he's been to us. See, we can be bitter because of circumstances. And that can take away contentment in our hearts and lives because we're envious and jealous and because we're bitter. You know, I've seen some people that are bitter at the world. It almost seems like. I always remember one time sitting in a lecture years ago and hearing Peter J. Wilson. I don't know if anybody knows Peter J. Wilson. Peter J.'s been dead for a long time. But he said, I'm afraid a lot of us as Christians look like we've been weaned on the pickle. And I think we act that way sometimes. We have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be happy about, and certainly really nothing to be bitter about. You know, we can become bitter toward other people as well. He said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. See, we can be filled with bitterness. And we can be bitter toward other people. We can be envious of them and jealous of them. Because of the good things that they may have in life, whatever those things may be. It doesn't matter what it is. But we can have bitterness. Brother Caldwell said in his truth commentary on the book of Ephesians, he said, bitterness is a spirit of resentment. We can resent others. We can be bitter toward them. Said it refuses reconciliation and will do nothing to initiate a restoration of a good relationship. That's what bitterness does. And these are some things that stop us and hinder us from being contented in life. With the things that we have and with the circumstances that we find ourselves in and with the relationships that we enjoy among the people of God and with other people in the community in which we live. We can be resentful toward them, bitter toward them. A third thing, worry. Does worry stop you from being content? If you worry, you're not contented. That's one of the things that hinders people from being contented in life. You know, we're told specifically not to worry. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Therefore, if I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. He said, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? Some would contend that's height. Others would say that it's length of life. Regardless of which it is, I can't do it. Worrying won't make me grow any taller, will it? Will worry extend the length of my life on earth? No, it may shorten it, but it won't extend it. See, I can't do any of those. I have to trust God. I mentioned this the other day at Secret Heights. You know, some people worry because they have nothing to worry about. Oh, what's going to happen? Everything's going good right now. And they worry about it because everything's going good. How tragic that is. See, worry is that which stops us from being contented. Brother Paul Earnhardt and uh, Gerald and I was talking about this this evening. I said, I've got a quote from his little book. If you don't have this little book, you should get it. I've recommended this little book to lots of people through the years. If you really want to look and learn from the Sermon on the Mount, Brother Earnhardt presents some good thoughts. And I think he's presented some lessons here on, on this, I understand. So, and he's, he's a great teacher, I'm going to tell you. And I love his little book on uh, the spiritual revolution. Uh, imitation to a spiritual revolution. He, he says this about that. He said, some people aspire to wealth while others are in terror of poverty. Both groups are equally occupied with things. They both work. And if you want something to hinder you from being content, contented, then those are three things that certainly will hinder that. Worry would be one of them. The Bible tells us really how to occupy our minds. We noticed this yesterday. 
He said that happened as they went. He entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Worried and troubled about many things. He said, but one thing that is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, and which will not be taken from her. Sitting at the feet, listening to Jesus. Now you want something good to occupy your mind? Read Philippians 4, verses 8. He tells us all the things to think about. It's important that we know the Word of God. But I'm going to tell you, brethren, that's, that's not enough. We, we didn't know it. And maybe we can quote the Word of God to people, but the important thing is, is knowing it, being able to direct other people to it, but allowing that Word to change us and to mold us and to make us into the kind of people that God would have us to be. You know, that, that's the important thing. Being able to make application of those principles. I don't care who it is that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who it is that's standing in this pulpit that presents the truth to you. What you need to do, if it's the truth, and you find it the truth, make application of those principles in your life. That's what you need to do. That's what all of us need to do. And that's how we'll benefit from the Word of God. So instead of worrying, let's sit at the feet of Jesus and let's see what He has to say to us. And let's believe it, let's obey it, and let's do it so that we can be the kind of person he wants us to be. Now let's look at some positive things. Let me address three things of a positive nature that we need. One is, is to be grateful. To be grateful. If we're grateful, that will go a long ways toward being contented and contented of heart. Now how we can learn to be contented in life. Do you realize that God cares for us? You know, I, I, I love this, this psalm. In Psalms 8, in verses 3, 4, and 5, David says, he said, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, he said, What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit or care for him? He said, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now David's a shepherd. Was a shepherd, well, obviously he was a king, but he was a shepherd at one time. I wonder how many times did he lie out at night on a starlit sky, laying and, and glancing up at the heavens and looking at all the stars that he could see with his natural eyes. And then he turns his attention to himself. Look at everything that God has created, everything that God has made. And here I am just one little individual. You mean to tell me that you really care about me? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. He cares about you. He cares immensely about you. You know, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. God loves you and He wants you to be redeemed and saved by His grace. Whoever you are. That's a pretty awesome thought, isn't it? You mean He cares for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, that will go a long ways toward helping us to be content in life. When I understand that God cares for me and I'm grateful to God 
for everything that I receive from his wonderful hands. You know, we all have reasons to be thankful, don't we? Every single one of us. In Luke 17, verses 15 through verses 19, he said, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, these were those that were healed of their disease. He said they returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face, uh, fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, and so Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Not only was he healed physically, he was healed spiritually as well. Did he have something to be thankful and grateful for? Do, do you and I have anything to be thankful and grateful for? Oh, an abundance of things. But above all, the forgiveness of my sins, of cleansing me, and making me whole, and being called his child, and giving me the privilege of being able to address him and call him my God and my Father, and to have a Redeemer who died for me. Boy, we have a lot to be grateful for. You know, I grew up in a very poor family. My dad was a coal miner. When I was a kid, we didn't even have running water in the house. We were poor, but you know, I, I really didn't know we were poor. Because there were a lot of people around us and they didn't have running water in the house. There's a lot of things that we didn't have growing up. But it really didn't hurt me. But you know what it did do? It helps me to appreciate the things that I have now. But those are not the important things. It's those spiritual things that we have. That really is important. I've been forgiven and I've been redeemed. All of us have reasons to be grateful. We looked at these verses the other night. He said, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. See what happens when people are not thankful and they don't glorify and honor God? Look at the path that it leads to man. It leads him away from God. It leads them to think that they're self-sufficient and they have no need for the Father. When people are not grateful. And how destructive it is in so many people's lives. Because they're not thankful and they're not grateful. But being filled with gratitude goes a long way toward learning to be content. Let me suggest something else to you. What about trust? 
Trust in the Lord will help us to learn contentment as well. The end result will be good. I want you to notice this verse. How many times have you quoted this verse, read this verse? He said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Everything works together for our good. Is that what he's saying? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. When he talks about all things work together for good, that's not exactly straight. In this, that's the difference between my computer and this one, I suppose. But the all things there that he's talking about are the things that they were experiencing in suffering. That's what. Go back to verses 17 and 18 and look and see if that's not what Paul is talking about. He said suffering is something that works together for my good. And if you look at this word good, it would be spiritual good. It doesn't mean that it's physically good, but it means it's good for me spiritually. I'm going to tell you what suffering will do. It will humble you. It will bring you to your knees. It will help you to realize the need that you have for God. And it will remove defiling things from our life as pride and haughtiness in our lives. And it will gender within us a spirit of humility and love and care and devotion to God. And it will cause us to trust in Him. You know, there's some things in life that we have to turn to God. Nobody else can help us. We have to look to Him. But that's what trust is. David's trust and deliverance. The heading of this psalm in Psalms 18 is talking about when he was delivered from all of his enemies, particularly Saul. He said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. He's who I trust. He's the one that will deliver me. He said, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pains of death surround me and the floods of ungodliness make, made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. Now the temple here is not the temple that was in the city of Jerusalem, but he's talking about heaven itself. He said, and my cry came before him even to his ears. He's the one I trust. And when we trust the Lord, we can learn contentment in our lives. With grateful hearts, trusting in God, knowing that even suffering works together for our spiritual good and benefit. Because we know where we're going when this life is. Now let's look back at the text now for just a moment. Paul's contentment. He said, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me is flourished again. He said, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
Where was he? In prison. In prison. See, he said, sometimes I have plenty. And sometimes I don't have that. But he said, regardless of whether I have an abundance or I have little, he said, I have learned to be content with that. Whatever that is. And he learned that because he trusted the Lord. He knew who he was serving. And he knew where he was going with his life. Let me suggest one other thing. The lesson will be yours. Patience. Endurance. Will help us to learn to be, con be content. The Bible teaches us that the Lord will chasten us. When I was a boy growing up. If I did something wrong and my dad found out about it, I knew exactly what I was going to get. I understood that. That was understood. You know, I didn't become bitter at my dad because he made me behave. And he made me do what was right. I had some of my family members that used to think that my dad was much too hard on us. And I've told him several times, I said, that, that's not the case at all. My dad was fair. He wasn't Christian, but he was always fair. If I did what was right, I, I didn't have anything to worry about. But you know the Lord chastens us. He disciplines us. Look, for instance, in Hebrews 12, verses 11 through verses 13. He said, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Just like when I was a kid. Dad's just, I'm going to tell you, it's painful sometimes. Most of us kids can hear that belt sliding out of those loops right now, can't we? I think I can still hear those things. And I, and I knew what was going to happen when, that, when I heard that belt coming off. But now he didn't beat me. But he did make me behave myself. And there are consequences when I violated his rules. And he never asked me to do anything that wasn't for my good. Even my bad. He said, nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He said, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. God disciplines us. Now, we may have difference of opinion on exactly how he does it. But the fact that he does it is a matter of faith because that's what this verse says. But we patiently endure the chastening of the Lord because we know it's for our good and for our benefit. And he does that, if you read the text of this, is because we're his sons, or we, we're his children, because he wants the best for us. I've gone back several times through the years after my son got grown and left. I've apologized to him on several different occasions, thinking that I was a little bit too tough on him. And I really love and appreciate what he's always said to me. He said, Dad, he said, you always meant it for my good, for my benefit. And that helps me a little bit to know that. 
If I had it to do over, yeah, I would do it differently. But you know, they don't, kids don't come with instruction manual, do they? We make mistakes with our ch children. But you know, God doesn't make mistakes. Everything that God does is for our good. And so, if, if we want to learn contentment, then we have to learn patience and endurance with the chastening of the Lord. It'll help them in our lives, as we can see. The present state that you and I are in and the suffering that we go through, Paul describes that as light affliction. Now, that's a little hard for me to relate to. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. Because of something that he says later in 2 Corinthians, you remember this is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, goes all the way down through chapter 5 and verses 1. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. And it is perishing, isn't it? Things have changed a lot. I don't have near as much hair as I used to have. I have caps on teeth and all kinds of stuff that wasn't there years ago. Boy, how, how things change. I'm not near as agile as I used to be. I'm pretty clumsy. And it tells me that the outward man is perishing. I don't think as clearly as I once did. Don't remember things like I once did. That's pretty easy for us to see it. He said, but yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. I hope my inward man is being stronger day by day. Regardless of what's happening outwardly. I know that one day that this feeble body will be exchanged for a spiritual body and be like my Lord. And I know that I can be in heaven with God. But I have to be patient and endure these things now. And they are nothing more than light affliction in comparison to the weight of glory that I will receive when this life is over. That's how I can be content. He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Patiently waiting and enduring that time. Whatever my lot is here upon this earth, be content and happy and thankful to the good Lord for the good things that we have in life. Trust in Him and patiently love Him and serve Patience endures. Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16, he said, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I rejoice in the day that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Holding fast the word of, word of life, or holding forth. Enduring. Enduring. Brethren, I know lots of people throughout the time that I've been preaching that have not endured. And what a shame that is, that they're going to lose their souls when life is over. And the only thing that you and I have that is of any value whatsoever is the soul that God gave us. 
None of these other things matter. They just don't matter. But let us learn to be content with the things that we have. Be grateful. Trust in the Lord. Patiently endure. Don't be envious and bitter toward others or toward our circumstances. Don't allow your life to be filled with worry, but in trust and love. And learn that contentment. God wants us to be contented with the things that we have. Someone said there are five keys to learning contentment. Said never allow yourself to complain about anything, not even the weather. It's a pretty good thought, isn't it? How many of us complain about the weather? Said never picture yourself in any other circumstance or in some other place. Picture yourself where you're at. He said never compare your lot with somebody else's lot. He said never allow yourself to wish this or that had been otherwise. And never dwell on tomorrow. Remember that tomorrow belongs to God and it's not ours. Be content with today and the blessings that you have. Love God. Serve God. Be faithful. Be saved by grace. If you're here this evening and not a Christian, can we help you in your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're unfaithful, would you be willing to repent and come back to the Lord? We'll pray with and for you. The Lord will forgive you clean. So if you're here this evening, accept the Lord's invitation in any way. Make your way to the front. Let your wishes be made known. As we stand together each and sing this hymn to encourage you. Won't you come, please?